just found out I'm not crazy. I put the bookmark on the baptismal form that we're going to use later. <laughs> so I did bring it up here. But the Lord shall forgive me for not mentioning all of them. I invite you to join with me now in your few Bibles to page 1,890, where we find our scripture reading for tonight. 1,890. Um, our uh, scripture in our bulletin says 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 16. I'm going to read verse 17 as well. As I studied, I figured I think that that verse 17 fits with uh, our text tonight. And we'll start uh, next week's. First Peter's sermon on verse 18 and following. So, um, here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, um, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For... Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, Michael Bentley, in his commentary on 1 Peter, wrote this. Many a young soldier has boasted that he was not going to have any fear in the heat of conflict. He saw only the glory of war, and he genuinely looked forward to being able to lead his men into the battle. But when the time comes and the dreadful slaughter begins, all his courageous words start to turn to jelly. He is a very different person when he is actually under fire. He continues, so it is with some Christians. They're full of advice for others. They speak of what they will do and what they will not allow others to do. But when they find themselves criticized, when things do not go in the way they have planned, then their bold words prove to have a hollow ring about them. And this is what Peter is seeking to address here for his audience. He is seeking to prepare them to be under fire. So that when the time comes and the opportunity arrives, or we could say when the rubber hits the road, they are ready to put their best foot forward. They've been trained. They've been prepared. And so, our theme tonight is As Elect Exiles. Kind of a thematic title for those Peter's addressing in his letter. We are called 
to be prepared inwardly and outwardly. And there's kind of a multiple meaning to that phrase inwardly and outwardly that we'll talk about as we go on. But we got three points tonight. The first is our call to those in the church. Second is our call to those outside the church. And then the final one is our call to those who seek us harm. Who seek our harm. That makes more sense. So, point one, our call to those in the church. Point two, our call to those outside the church. Point three, our call to those who seek our harm. So, let's look at point number one here. So, the first thing that we have to acknowledge is in verse 8 of 1 Peter, Peter says, finally. Finally. And that's because... Peter is closing out his section in his letter that we've been talking about for some time. That's a household code. Uh, it's a common form of addressing uh, a, a group of people from um, everyone, how are you supposed to deal with authority over you, to um, slaves, or how are you supposed to handle masters, to um, wives, how are you supposed to handle husbands, husbands, how are you supposed to handle wives, uh, children, how are you supposed to understand your place in this household. Uh, that, that kind of address is common in this time that Peter's writing to his, uh, his, uh, the people who he's writing to. And, and Peter is summarizing now that entire household code that began all the way back in verse 13 of chapter 2. Finally, and he says then, all of you. So unlike um, when he was directing his conversation to servants and masters, unlike when he was directing his conversations to wives, unlike when he was directing his conversation or his writing to husbands, now he's going back to what he was doing at the beginning, and he's speaking uh, in general terms to the entire audience. He's saying this applies to all of you, whether you're a slave, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're whatever. This applies to all of you, okay? Uh, and the first thing that he says, all of you, and then he gives these five ways that we're called to act towards fellow believers, okay? The first one is live in harmony. Or the way it's expressed here, yeah, live in harmony with one another. The second is be sympathetic. The third is 
love as brothers. The fourth is be compassionate. And the fifth is be humble. So the first thing that we're called to do, our calling to those who are in the church, is that we're called to live in harmony with one another. We're called to live at peace with one another. Um, it's interesting because just uh, before this, uh, he says to husbands, uh, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Um, and it's very similar wording here in the Greek. Uh, to live at harmony with your, with your wife is sort of, uh, in the same sense, the same calling that we have as Christians in general. We're called to live at harmony, at peace with one another. Our, our, our underlying disposition is that we are always desiring to get along with each other. To be at peace with one another. To live in harmony with one another. Um, and unlike, uh, unlike uh, the 60s form of uh, free love and peace and hippie, where uh, basically their idea of getting along with one another means that we let people do whatever they want and we don't uh, have any sort of rules or regulations or anything like that, actually the calling that we have um, to be at live in peace and harmony with one another is, um, is also in tension with calling one another to live in accordance with God's word and live in accordance with the gospel, okay? Um, the second thing that we're told about living in harmony with one another is that we're called to be sympathetic. Um, we're called to be sympathetic. Um, in the book of Hebrews, we're told uh, that Christ himself sympathizes with us, that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, that we do not have a God that is so unlike us that does not understand us, doesn't understand the pain that we go through, doesn't understand the suffering that we experience, doesn't understand the hardship that we have as human beings. We have a God that became a human being and is a human being even now all throughout eternity. And so um, that is our great calling. Is that if, if God himself can, can come down and put on flesh so that he can sympathize with us, then the least that we can do is as Christian brothers and sisters try to see where our brothers and sisters are coming from, to sympathize with them. And we should be able to do that um, because uh, we have the same weaknesses and faults um, that others do. It's true that um, the way that we do not live in harmony with one another often has to do with pride, thinking we are above other people. Um, and if you think that you are different than everyone else because you're better than everyone else, then you cannot sympathize with others. You have no point of comparison because you are unique and unto yourself. Uh, the third thing that Peter says is we're called to love as brothers. Earlier in his letter, he already began to address um, his audience in terms of how we're called to, to love. Um, he, he said, right here in chapter 1, now that you have, verse 22, purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Um, Jesus himself said, um, if you are my disciples, the way people will tell that you are my disciples is that you will love one another. You will have this deep and abiding love for each other. 
um, love his brothers, you know. Uh, sometimes I often think about how uh, the church is called a family, the language of family, brothers, sisters, um, and, and how oftentimes the, uh, the, the battles and the fights and the bickering and the infighting that goes on in churches um, where, uh, and, and oftentimes where people will say, well, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm just going to walk away and I'm going to go somewhere else. And I think to myself, you know, we always say uh, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. You know, and it's like, well, if you really applied that to Christian living, if we really apply that to the church, maybe we wouldn't so quickly, we wouldn't so easily say, well, I'm done with that group because they're frustrating me. I'm going to go on to the next group because you would say, no. Well, blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than all. I love as a brother. And my brother may annoy me, my, my brother may frustrate me. My brother may even hurt my feelings. But I love them. They're my brother. Love is brothers, right? Uh, be compassionate to one another. Be compassionate. Um, this has a lot to do with sympathy. Um, if you can't relate to someone, how are you going to express compassion to them? Um, this is the heart of God, God's compassion towards us. Compassion is not an expression of, um, well, I'm in a better position than you are, and you're weak, so I'm going to show compassion on you. I, I, I'm, I pity you. Compassion is not pity. Compassion is an expression of, I understand where you're coming from. And when I was in this place, somebody showed me love. Somebody showed me compassion. Somebody showed me care, and I'm going to do that for you. Uh, and then finally, humble. Peter's going to talk a lot more about humility uh, later on in, the bi- in, in his very, this very letter. Uh, one of the things that he will say about humility is that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so he calls on all the congregation to clothe themselves with humility toward one another. And he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Um, Paul in his letter to the Philippians said... Uh, Be like Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he humbled himself into death on a cross. So have that same attitude among you. Um, In a lot of ways, living in harmony with one another, showing sympathy to one another, loving each other as brothers, and showing compassion to each other hinges on this reality that we are humble, that we are filled with humility. That we are not prideful. And so that's our call to those in the church. Five ways to act toward other believers, right? Um, What about our call to those outside the church? The first thing I want to say is just because Peter is addressing the relationships that go on between the congregation, uh, he is not saying that you should not live in harmony with people who are not Christians. He's not saying that you shouldn't uh, be sympathetic to people who are not Christians. He's not saying that you shouldn't be compassionate and humble with people who aren't Christians, right? Um, But that is a particular expression that we're called to have 
towards each other. And the truth of the matter is, is if we can't love our brothers and sisters like this, how do you think we're going to love non-Christians? How are we going to love our enemies if we can't even love our friends? I mean, isn't that what Jesus said, right? Um, so then uh, Peter goes on to then sort of address more of a general principle of how we should act towards the uh, unbelieving world, how, should, how we should act. And this is the general uh, principle that he gives. It's in verse 9. Uh, don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Uh, But rather, what? Rather blessing. Now, Peter is taking the teaching of Jesus, his friend that he lived with and walked with, his Savior. And he's giving it to these people. He's saying, my, my friend Jesus, my Savior Jesus, that I walked with, that I lived with for three years, that I watched die. Um, he said... When somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. When somebody wants you to walk a mile, walk another mile. Um, Paul will say in in Romans, the book of Romans, uh, the same thing. Don't return evil for evil. Don't repay evil with evil, insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called. So this is the general principle. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Peter is saying... That the way that the world naturally works is, you do something to me, I do something back. You hit me, I hit you back. Like we talked about before. You poke me on Facebook, right? I poke you back. That's how the world operates. That's how people naturally are. You don't have to learn that. You don't have to be taught that. That's what you do, right? Uh, and, and Peter's saying that's not how we're called to operate as Christians anymore in this world. We don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing with blessing. And so whenever we uh, encounter hardship in this world, whenever we encounter someone who's mean, what do we do? We kill them with kindness. We show them that they can't penetrate us because we have been loved so deeply by a father and his son Jesus Christ and we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit that you can't stop this shine. You can't bring me down. I'm going to love you even if you hate me. I'm going to say nice things to you even if you say mean things to me. That's how I live. That's how I operate. You can't stop that. Because that's God at work in me. That's the general principle, right? Uh, And why? Why are we called to do this? Well, um, Peter says, because to this you were called. This is a calling. That's why I I said our call to those outside the church. Uh, So that... You may inherit a blessing. Now, Peter's already said a lot about inheritance in this letter. Is he saying that somehow um, you get more, right? Well, he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Uh, He says you were called uh, to inherit um, this new birth of the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, inheritance that can never perish or spoil, verse 4 in, in, in chapter 1. Kept in heaven for you. Um, this is uh, the inheritance that Peter's talked about so far. What, what kind of inheritance is he talking about in this? Inherit a blessing. Um, chapter 16 of the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about good works. And he says, good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word. 
not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind seal or upon any pretense of good intention. These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit into holiness, they may have the end eternal life. Um, uh, number three in chapter 16 says that their ability to do good works is not of themselves, it is the work of Jesus Christ in them. Um, we cannot, verse uh, number five, paragraph five, we cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come and the infinite distance uh, that is between us and God whom by them we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all we can, we have done but our duty and our unprofitable servants. And because as they are good, they proceed from his spirit and as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. Our good works are still flawed. Um, and then paragraph 6 says, Notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Listen to what the Westminster Confession. It says, God receives and rewards the good works that we do in the Christian life, even though they're filled with weakness, even though they're filled with sin and corruption. God receives, he accepts and rewards these good works. And so Peter is saying, if you live this new way of, of Christian living, uh, you don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, if you receive evil for blessing, if you receive evil but return blessing, you inherit a blessing. That's what he's talking about. The reward that uh, God gives for uh, flawed, good works that we do in this life through the work and power and operation of the Holy Spirit that God accepts on the basis of Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, Peter gives an Old Testament example that is the ugliest E I have ever seen. Psalm 34. He quotes from it in length, 12 through 16. He says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, even though when we read Psalm 34, it sounds like what the psalmist is saying is this is how we earn salvation, right? If you want to li live life, you want to love life and see good days, right? The way you do that is you do good things. You keep your tongue from evil. Uh, you turn from evil and do good. You seek peace and pursue it. Um, and this is how you gain the favor of the Lord is by, by doing these things. That's not, um, that's not what the psalmist is saying because we understand uh, that in and of ourselves, we're incapable of doing good apart from Jesus Christ, apart from abiding in him. But um, because we have been redeemed and saved, because we are 
no longer slaves to sin, as Peter's already talked about, but we've been freed by God. We're now slaves to God, and we use our freedom as an opportunity to live for God and for his glory, not in order to earn our salvation, but in order to express our gratitude. Um, This is how Christians love life and see good days. If you want to love life and see good days, you live in accordance with God's word. You live the Christian life in, a, in, in a, uh, independence upon Christ in such a way that when bad things happen to you, you return good. When people say mean things about you, you say nice things about them. That's how you live, love life and see good days. That's how you love life and see good days. But what about our call um, to those who seek us harm? Because this general principle is, um, is really for those um, who, um, who may be mean to us, but um, besides saying mean things to us, besides posting mean things about us on Facebook, they're, they're not really uh, um, hurting us, right? Well... Peter continues, our call to those who seek our harm. In verse 13, he says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? What he's meaning by this is uh, it's unlikely. It's unlikely if the world was the way it was meant to be, that if you are doing good, if you are being a kind and compassionate person, if you are following Jesus Christ and seeking in every single way possible to be at peace with all people, if you are loving your neighbors, if you are caring for them and appreciating them, if you are seeing them where they are, if you are in all humility, being compassionate and sympathetic with those around you, that there's not anybody who's going to seek you harm because you're eager to do good. A summary of all that came before Peter's saying this, this is what it means. It means you're eager to do good, right? Who's going to harm you if you're living this kind of life that he's said? But then he says, but even if. Even if. And so what I think Peter's saying here is um, this is a... Uh, this is a, a possibility, a clause. Um, in fact, he's going to say later on in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter then says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He says, even if there still could be a chance that there are those who who seek you harm. And because of this, what's his his encouragement to these Christians? That they, uh, what are they to do with those who are seeking them? I mean, Peter listened to the teaching of Jesus. Peter remembered that Jesus said, a student is not above his teacher. If they hated me, they will surely hate you. Peter knows that Jesus said this. And so he wants to give an encouragement to these Christians. Um, if, um, if instead of this sort of benign category of people who, you know, maybe uh, don't uh, really like Christians, don't really like this 
new religion around them. It's a little uncomfortable because it's monotheistic and it's uh, something new and it, they don't like it because they, they won't worship the emperor or they won't, uh, they won't see these other gods that we believe in as sort of like on the same playing field. You know, um, uh, basically what I would say is Peter's audience is kind of in the same context societally and culturally that we are right now. But there used to be a time when everyone was a Christian just because it was societally beneficial to be a Christian in America. I mean, they still have something called the Bible Belt. And that, that has its own dangers because people can make um, false professions of faith because people can walk in and amongst the church um, but not really have a strong conviction because it's something that benefits them uh, in the culture and in the society. But that time is going away. I mean, that's my sense that that time is passing in our country and our nation if God does not do a great work. And so what happens if we transition from a time like right now where it's like, well, you know, you never really see any positive expressions of faith in our pop culture anymore, do you? You never really see any, uh, um, you know, people who think that it's culturally appropriate or beneficial for them to be a Christian unless it's some sort of... Uh, um, Fake tokenism like placing your hand on a Bible that you've had in your family for a long time, but you don't believe anything in it. You see what I'm saying? So uh, what happens when we transition in our country to a time where there's not just sort of a dislike or distrust of the Christian faith, but there's an outright hatred and disdain for it? As Jesus promised can happen. Peter wants to give this encouragement to the people of God about this. He says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about this very thing when he opens up the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And... Uh, he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So um, what, what is Jesus saying? Well, uh, one of the people I listened to, Doug Wilson, says that, that this, um, this particular passage is like saying, hey, you know, if you're living the Christian life in such a bold way that you garner attention and you garner criticism from people, you should take that criticism and then you should go around the corner and you should go, yes. Because Jesus says you're blessed. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be asking for people to hate us. That, that's not the point. Um, but you're blessed because... You're being treated just like the prophets before. You're blessed because your very own Savior experienced persecution and hardship. Right? This is what um, Peter then says. He gives an Old Testament example for this situation. How, what's our call to those who seek our harm? He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. 
Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Uh, he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 is where uh, uh, Peter is quoting from in uh, the Old Testament. And this is what Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 says in full. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. And this is what it says in verse 13. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Uh, Peter is quoting from this because he's saying it's our temptation as Christians to fear those who wish to do us harm. To fear those who could hurt us. To fear those who could make our life a living hell. To fear those who could make our life difficult and hard and bring suffering and persecution into our lives. That's our temptation, you know what? And that's a natural temptation is to do that. Um, but Isaiah says, and Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread what they dread. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Jesus says the same thing in his teaching. He says, do not fear the one who can destroy only body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We have a fear of men complex as Christians, as people, as humans. We fear what's in front of us and what we can see because we think that is what we face ultimately. But the truth of the matter is, we are not called to fear them. We're called to fear God. We're called to have reverence for God, If we have reverence for God, if we understand where God is in all this, then we would not fear men the way that we fear men. Right? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Do not have dread. God is the one you're to fear. God is the one you are to dread. God is the one that you are to set apart as holy, to regard as holy. And it's interesting then because this is what then Peter does about this Christian audience that he's addressing. He says in verse 15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. It's almost as if Peter is continuing his quotation of Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12 on into 8 verse 13. But instead of Yahweh, he's saying Jesus is Yahweh. You're supposed to set apart the Lord Yahweh as holy. Well, you're supposed to set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. You're supposed to set Jesus Christ apart as Lord in your heart. Do not fear the one who can destroy only the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul and cast into hell. Peter makes this connection to Christ. Regard the Lord Almighty as holy and your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. So this is what he says. If you're afraid of harm, if you're afraid of suffering, do good and do not be afraid of them. But rather sanctify Christ in your heart as Lord. And this, he says, results in something. And that is an opportunity to witness. He says, if you cannot fear those who seek to do you harm, but rather you seek to do them good. If you can not fear men, but rather set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. When that time comes, when they come with pitchforks at your house, when they come to say you're not allowed to bank here anymore, or you're not allowed to shop at this store, when they come to do whatever it is that they do, 
And you, in all gentleness and respect, love them, care about them, pray for them. This is what happens. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Well, why would they be asking you? Well, in general, it could be because whatever hardship we're going through, we're going through a time of sickness, we're going through a time of hardship financially, and our perspective and our attitude on life gives them an opportunity to say, why are you so different? Why are you still so hopeful? But in this particular context, Peter is saying, when someone is coming to kill you because you're a Christian, if you show them love, if you show them care, if you show them that you love them and you don't hate them for what they're doing to you, wow, talk about an opportunity to witness to them. Talk about an opportunity for them to go, wait, you're supposed to hate me because I hate you. You're supposed to want me dead because I want you dead. And you go, no, I don't want you dead. I love you. And I want you to know Jesus Christ. That is an opportunity for you to tell them the hope that you have. To do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. They have nothing to say against you because even though the world operates like this, tit for tat, you take my eye, I take your eye. You take, you, that, that's how the world operates. You don't operate like that. You love them. And it shows. And Peter ends with, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Talk about an opportunity to witness. And that takes preparation. As elect exiles, we're called to be prepared inwardly in our hearts, in our minds, right? But also outwardly. But we're also called to be prepared as the church, inwardly, loving each other and caring about each other. But also outwardly towards those who are outside the church. And, and so that means that we have to train. We have to think about what it means to live the Christian life. We can't... Be, uh, we can't be idle and think, well, when that day comes that I'm in the midst of the battle, I'll be ready for it. No, we have to be prepared. We have to be praying. We have to be loving each other. We have to be encouraging one another. We have to be getting into God's word. We have to be asking that the Lord would prepare us for the times ahead that he might have for us. Um, we can't expect that we'll be ready when we're under fire. And so... Um, as Christians, may we cling to Christ all the more, and may we walk forward in this Christian life that he's called us to. Uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this great and wonderful word, this great and wonderful teaching. We pray that we would always be ready to answer, to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to work in us, in our hearts, in our minds, uh, but also that it, this work that you're doing in our hearts and minds will work out toward our hands and in our lives. We pray that you would draw us closer together as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that spirit would be thicker than blood, that we would love one another, uh, that we would have sympathy for each other, that we would be compassionate and humble and live in harmony with each other, but that also, Lord, we would um, treat those who are not Christians um, with deep respect that we would not return evil for evil, insult for insult, but rather we would return evil for blessing, insult for encouragement, 
um, that we may re receive and inherit a blessing in this, Lord. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be eager to do good in this life. Uh, that we would be willing to sh suffer for what is right. Uh, that we would understand that we're blessed to do this. That in our hearts we would set apart Christ as Lord and that we would be ready to have a clear conscience and do these things with gentleness and respect. And we ask all this. Pray that you'd answer that for the sake of your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.